we read the Bible out loud and listen to God's word preached. As we hear the words of Jesus in the model prayer, may we see this as a continuation of our worship together. This morning I'll be reading um, from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. And after the reading of God's word, I will, procl- I will proclaim this is the word of the Lord. And I invite you to um, respond prayerfully, speak, Lord, your servants here. Matthew 6, 11 through 13. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Please take your seats. All right, everybody, good morning again. It's good to see you. Thanks, Rebecca, for reading our scripture this morning. And uh, thank you, Susie, for that prayer. That was powerful. Thank you. Man, may, may his kingdom come. May we be an outpost of heaven. Yeah. All right, well, this morning we are wrapping up our series through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we just did a quick three-week mini-series through the Lord's Prayer to kind of begin the year and focus our attention to connecting with God and may God make us a people of prayer. Uh, two weeks ago, what we saw was that knowing that God is our Father changes the way that we pray, changes how we approach God. We don't have to beg Him. We don't have to do weird chants or say the same thing over and over and over again because God, who is our Father, knows our needs before we ever ask and He cares for you. He loves you. We also don't have to pray in order to be seen by someone or to try to earn something because God, who is our Father, approves of you, of us, and He sees you, He sees us, and He rewards us with this relationship, this connection with Him. And last week, we saw that prayer is about God, it is for God, it is from God. Prayer is uniquely God-centered, and prayer is a gift from God to communicate with our Father. We pray for the name of God to be regarded as holy, and for His name to be made famous. Have you found yourself praying those things this week, that the name of God would be made famous in your home, through your life, in your workplace, at your school, at your job site, in your gym, at the coffee shop? Are you praying those things? We also pray, like Susie said, for his kingdom to come. We pray that Jesus would reign in us first, in our relationships, in marriages, in friendships, in, in, uh, in our hobbies, at our work, wherever we go, all our spheres of influence. And we pray for opportunities to make the invisible kingdom visible, to bring the ways of Jesus wherever we go. Now, praying those things is oftentimes uncomfortable, and it's oftentimes dangerous. But we are to pray for those things. Are you praying for those things? That God would use you to to further his reign. That God would use you to make the invisible kingdom of God visible wherever you go. 
And today we wrap up. And here's what I hope we see. This is the big idea, and it's on the screen. God cares about our food. God cares about our forgiveness and freedom. These are kingdom of God and will of God issues. When we pray for these things, they remind us both of our dependence upon God and his kindness and care towards us. The Bible says, our text for today is this, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive others and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These verses just kind of roll off the tongue. Is that not true? They are familiar. They are, they are, they are common. We know these things, but what do they mean? And how do these words that we know, how do they fit into big kingdom-minded prayers that we looked at last week? So let's look at each of these to to try to gain some clarity to understand them. The first petition, the first request is this. Give us this day our daily bread. And this basically, in its simplest form, is all about our provision for each day. Some sadly think that prayer is, is solely this like mystical, spiritual, ethereal business. But we are whole people with integrated lives. And God is happy for us to bring to him our physical needs for such things as food. Praying for daily provision is not something that most of us have to normally worry about in this country. Is that true? We, we store food that can last us for months. For some of our more concerned citizens, sometimes we store food that can last us for some years. So when Jesus tells us to pray for our daily bread, it is in reference to the fact that the folks in his generation literally had to live day to day. They lived day to day for their food. The cow brought the daily milk. The baker brought the daily bread. The butcher brought the daily meat. The, the, the system of food storage was, was primitive and not nearly as advanced as ours. And to be quite certain, food was not readily available as it is in our first world country. But there are two things that are implied in this first request that we cannot miss. On the one hand, it shows us our need, doesn't it? We are the needy ones. We are the ones who are requesting. We are the ones who need provision. We are the ones who are desperate. But on the other hand, it shows us our Father's ability to meet those needs. He is the one who provides. He is the one who owns the cattle and the thousand hills, Psalms 50 verse 10. He is the God who gives. He is the generous God. But if all we are left with is that we are needy and that God is the only source for provision, our, only, our problem really is that there would be no guarantee or hope that our need for daily food and provision could be met. But notice that at the end of chapter 20, uh, 6, verse 25. Look at what Jesus says in the same sermon. Look at what Jesus says as he discusses this from. Look at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, 
Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? What are, what are some of the things that we worry about, that this text worries about? Food, clothing, basic necessities. Anybody ever worried about basic necessities here? Finances, that kind of stuff? I have. And what does Jesus say about this? Verse 26. You are more valuable than the birds of the air who God provides for. Verse 30. If God clothes the lilies, will he not much more clothe you? Verse 32. Unbelieving people seek after these things, but your Father knows that you need them all. In other words, it is one thing to have the need and pray the prayer. It is a whole other thing to have an eager, kind, benevolent Father who will meet those needs because He cares for you. Now, one thing that we have to notice is that Jesus told us to pray for our daily bread, not for your BMW. We are to bring Him our needs, not our greeds. The difference between God providing for our needs, daily bread, and our wants is important. There are some that would say that if we just want it, we should pray for it. That's fine. But there's no guarantee that God will deliver such goods. But of our needs, that's altogether different. Friends, your Father in heaven is your Provider, He is the generous, giving God who cares for you. He desires to meet your needs and knows them even before you ask. And because He has met our greatest need, forgiveness of sin, by offering up His beloved Son, Jesus, for us. He has promised to meet our lesser needs, like food. And so we can pray with confidence. Give us this day our daily bread. A couple more things to keep in mind. We have to remember that we are not notifying God of information that He is unaware of. Rather, we are, we are discussing with Him our needs in faith that He cares for us and will provide. God cares about the little things, and by praying to Him for our needs, we will grow to see that everything we have is a gift from His hand, and we will receive it with thanks. Now, the most, probably the most important thing that this request reminds us of and teaches us is our daily need for the Lord Jesus. This passage teaches us that God designed physical needs to point to our deeper spiritual needs. Our need for daily physical sustenance is this faint echo of our daily need for spiritual sustenance and satisfaction from God. This is why Jesus regularly referred himself as the bread of life. 
the true manna sent from heaven. He is God's ultimate provision for our spiritual lives. Each day, as we pray for our daily bread, we should be reminded of our daily need for Jesus to forgive our sins and empower us for obedience and virtue. Each time we pray for daily bread, we should recognize our deeper need for the bread of life, the only one who can truly satisfy us. And finally, we have to remember the synergistic relationship between divine providence and our own responsibility. Jesus didn't say, pray this prayer for daily bread, pray this prayer for provision so that we could sleep in, in the morning and make no effort to do all we can to provide for ourselves and our families. So on the one hand, we trust in the kindness of God's provision. And on the other hand, we are responsible to do all we can. God typically works through means. And he normally provides through the means of our labor. Now, in my life, our family at different times uh, in the last, especially through our marriage, in the last 13 years of marriage, we've gone through different seasons of great need. Whether that was housing, whether that was a job, whether that was uh, the budget was being cut, whether that was uh, medical bills. We've gone through lots of need. You know, when your daughter is life-lighted from little Ro- Ro- Roseburg to Portland to go to Children's Hospital, you know that that's going to be a pretty expensive bill. We've gone through many seasons of great need. And God has been very kind. Sometimes he has provided for us just like we asked for. Sometimes he has provided in very different ways. Sometimes God has provided when we asked for. Sometimes God has provided very much later and strangely. But I know for a fact that God is a good God who provides. Sometimes God provided wisdom to steward our time and our finances differently. Sometimes God provided me with some strength to work long hours, to work two or three jobs at a time. And that is God's kindness. Sometimes God provided me with some humility to ask for help. Sometimes God provided through the church family. Sometimes God provided through my own family. As a 28-year-old man, I had to ask my in-laws if I could live with them and my wife and our son for a few months. Now that is humbling. But God provided. Did I wish he would provide it differently? Absolutely. (laughs) But he didn't. And that was for my good. But all I know is that God is the God who provides. Amen. God is the God who provides. So you can trust him. He has been gracious. 
And one application to this first little point would be God is a God who gives. God is a generous God. He gave, so we are to be generous in giving as well. And that, this is not a push for finances, you guys. <laughs> this is a push for our time. This is our, 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 our you know, uh, encouragement to, to, to give yourselves to others. To maybe be God's means to provide for some other need that's around you. But God is a God who gives. So let's move on. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors is the next uh, request in the Lord's Prayer. And this request really speaks to our need for forgiveness. Confession is one prayer that Jesus never prayed because he never sinned. But Jesus reminds us that sin, both of omission or commission, accrues this debt with God. The Bible tells us the wages for sin is death, Romans 3.23, revealing that we owe God the debt of death because of our sin. We are all debtors to God because we've sinned against God. And because we are debtors, we are in desperate need for forgiveness. Our situation could not be any more tenuous. And this prayer implies that we understand this and we are to ask God to forgive us of this debt. This truth also means that only God can forgive this debt. Since he is the one we owe this debt to, he's the only one who can forgive it. And this would also mean that God must have a way to forgive us. And this is where Jesus gives us this sneak peek at what's coming in his life. Because we know that after Jesus gave this model prayer, he went to the cross to die in order to satisfy the debt that we deserved to pay. Jesus went to the cross to pay the debt of sin so that you and I can be forgiven of our debt before God. That is the gospel. That's the good news. And with Jesus as our Redeemer, our spiritual debt is paid in full so that we can be fully forgiving of all sin, past, present, and future. And that is great news. Because our Father is forgiving, and because Jesus, our big brother, paid our debt, we need not trust in any other religious efforts as reincarnation and works or purgatory to pay off our debt. Rather, we simply, humbly and frequently, confess our sins to God and to one another. So question for you, is this a practice in your life? Is beautiful confession a practice in your life? Is honest vulnerability a practice in your life? Is humble honesty a practice in your life? For many years, especially as a young Christian, I believe that when I sinned, the only thing that I needed to do was confess my sins to God and that I was okay. And there is an element of truth to that. God does forgive us of our sin. We are to confess our sins to God. But listen, I think it's incomplete as well. God gives us people for a reason. And we are to, to, to be open with one another. We are to confess our sins to one another so that they can pray for us and keep us accountable and point us to Christ. For many years, I believed this partial truth. And the reason why is because I was full of shame. I did not want to be seen as weak. 
I did not want to be seen as flawed. I did not want people to think differently of me. But rather than it, 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 it helping, it kept me in a prison. And I remember the very first time that I, that I uh, practiced honest, vulnerable confession. I had a friend named Peter, Peter Liptak, who was a bit older than I was. And um, we were in a church event together, and uh, we were singing or something. And I was incredibly convicted about some things in my life. And these were some things that I had many times brought before Jesus and said, Lord, forgive me for this, 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 forgive me. But that night I knew crystal clear that I needed to go talk to Peter. So I walked over to Peter and I said, Bud, I need to talk to you. And he looked at me like, okay. I had some tears in my eyes. I was, ready. I was embarrassed. I was full of shame. I was full of guilt. And I sincerely thought that he was either going to not be my friend anymore <laughs> or that he was going to go run and tell everybody what a terrible person I was. There's all these fears going through my mind, my heart. I said, I said you need to just sit down. <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking because I, mean, I made it seem like it was this big ordeal, you know, like... But I just spent the next 10 minutes confessing my sin through ugly crying and sobbing and tears. And at the end of that 10 minutes, I, I, again, I was certain that Pil, uh, Peter was going to be like, what's wrong with you? But he just put his arm around me and said, me too. We need Jesus together. And that set me free. It set me free. And oftentimes I have to battle this wrong belief. This is not a one-time thing that I conquered the battle and I'm good to go. I'm, I'm constantly trying to, to fight this wrong belief. But we should humbly, frequently, Confess our sins, yes, to God and to one another. Is confession a practice in your life? This, again, is showing us our dependence upon God. In, in summarizing this point of the prayer, R.C. Sproul wrote this, God, I can't fight you. I don't want to be estranged from you. I want to be restored to you. I want to be able to love you, not hate you. I want you to love me in spite of my hostility towards you. Forgiveness is the only way we can stand in the presence of God and forgiveness of our sin comes only through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, period. So friend, if you're here and you've never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, today is a good day to do that. Turn to Him and trust in Him. But what about the, the forgiving others part? Why does Jesus throw that into the mix? Because Jesus 
paid our debt to God and opened a way for us to be forgiven, we, we extend that gospel grace to others by praying for those who have sinned against us and by forgiving them. Now, this does not mean that we ignore, that we diminish, or even excuse their sin. Neither does this mean that if we, we, we will be automatically reconciled to them. Because forgiveness takes one person, but reconciliation takes two people. Instead, forgiveness is where we refuse to become embittered and vengeful and prayerfully desire that even our enemies would experience God's grace as we have. By be changed by his love and experience the power of forgiven sin. So Jesus adding the the forgiving others part helps us to see a stark contrast between God's forgiveness and our forgiveness of others. Now just stop for one moment and consider the, the absolute horrific thought of what would happen to us if God forgave us in the exact proportion that we forgive others. We would never be forgiven. Or we'd be forgiven in partial payments. Or we would forgive some things but not others. So what Jesus is doing here is it's not only showing us our need for forgiveness from God, but our need for God to help us forgive others. So in other words, if God forgave us so graciously and mercifully, why would we ever withhold forgiveness from others? And how wrong it is. Or how strange it would be for us to be given such remarkable, overwhelming forgiveness from God, yet be unforgiving towards others when they repent. As Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, as God in Christ has forgiven you, so we should forgive others. So in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is telling us that as children of our gracious, merciful Father, we've been forgiven much and we should in turn, we are to forgive others with that same mercy and grace. Now, how can you apply this? Are you, are you holding on to some unforgiveness? You're the only one who can answer that question. I have done that. I, I know the cancer that unforgiveness is. I lived in Texas for 10 years. I was a youth pastor at a, at a church in a little town in Texas, and um, I, I basically gave my 20s to this church. And when I left that church, I left incredibly hurt, incredibly anger, angry, incredibly bitter, offended, in a very dark place. I was ready to give up on the church because of a specific relationship with one of the leaders in that church. And so I ran. (laughs) Listen, we did know that God was calling us to come to the Northwest, but it was a pretty good excuse to not deal with that. So I held on to unforgiveness and anger and hurt and bitterness. And for four years, I knew that I should do whatever I could to reconcile with this person. How many of you guys know how difficult reconciliation is? It's tough. 
So I made phone call after phone call, only to be ghosted time and time again. But I wrestled with this in my heart. I confessed this to God. I worked it, with, worked it out with other people, and I kept trying, doing everything I could to reach out, only to be ghosted. But the truth is that forgiveness takes one person, reconciliation takes two people. So I forgave this person. More freedom came into my life. It took long, it took time, it took tears, it took resting through a lot of really difficult things, not understanding some things that happened. And hopefully one day that whole thing will be fully complete and made new. We're not there yet. But at least I'm not, I'm not, I'm not holding on to any unforgiveness or bitterness or, or vengeful thoughts towards this person. How about you? Are you holding on to any unforgiveness or bitterness? If so, don't delay. It's only a cancer that hurts you, and it's not for your flourishing. So, Father, forgive us of our debts and help us mirror your forgiveness to others when they sin against us. The last thing we see here is the last request that says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The forgiveness portion of this prayer reminds us that God has forgiven our past sins. And everybody said amen. Past, present, future, that's good news. But this section shows us something different. Our need to be protected from future sin. Here is the deal. Satan, demons, sinners, and sin are real. The world is filled with temptation and evil. And while we can and should pray to God for forgiveness when we sin, we should also pray to God offensively in advance before temptation comes and evil lurks. God never tempts us to sin. That's what the Bible says in the book of James chapter 1. But in this prayer, Jesus is saying that we should agree with God's desire that we not follow temptation into evil. We pray offensively because we know that we will be tempted like Jesus was tempted. Hebrews chapter 4 says that. Now I want to make sure this is very clear. Because when we read this part of the prayer we might get this idea that God somehow leads us into temptation, but that can't be right because, again, James 1.13 says that God cannot be tempted by evil and he tempts no one to evil. But even though God does not tempt us with evil, there are times when we, in our faith, is tested. In the midst of that test, there is incredible temptation. Abraham and Job are Old Testament saints that can come to our mind when we think of their faith being tested. And the prayer of Jesus here has this angle to it. Lead us not to temptation when we are tested in our faith. Friends, you know those moments when our faith is being tested. Tragedy hits. Sickness comes. Finances are in the tank. Our faith is tested and stretched. And in those moments, there is heavy temptation to sin and doubt the gracious hand of God. And that's why the specifics of Jesus' prayer are important. 
He not only instructs us to pray to not give into temptation, but to be delivered from the evil one. The word evil here is a specific evil, namely Satan himself. So this prayer could go something like this. Lord, lead us when we are being tested in our faith and don't let us give into the evil one in his temptations. Now again, this is also a prayer of dependence. It's a recognition of our weakness in our propensity to give way to temptation when our faith is tested. It's an acknowledgement that we need God's help so that we don't fall into the snare of the devil. It's, it's a reality check that life can be challenging and the damaging effects of the evil one are real. But it's also this acknowledgement of our Father's ability and care. He's like this caring father teaching us how to walk and keeping us from the dangers that lie ahead. Like, like a father of a carefree two-year-old holding hands while they're oblivious to the dangers around them, our father safely leads us. Now, one means that God gives us for times like this is community. People to run with and pursue God together. People that we can call upon when we are tempted or tested. People who will pray for you and come over and help. The question is, do you have people like that? Do you have those kind of people in your life? And what's intriguing about this portion of the prayer is that if there, are, if there is anything that Jesus could relate to, is this. Just two chapters before, in Matthew 4, Jesus was tested and he was tempted by the devil. In that dark wilderness, no doubt Jesus prayed, Father, deliver me from the evil one. In that moment, Jesus was tempted as we are yet without sin. So when Jesus tells you and me to pray this prayer, is from his own experience and confidence in God's care, in God's provision. Now, as we close the study on the Lord's Prayer, you might wonder, how do these prayers for food, for forgiveness, for freedom, how do they fit into the bigness of the Lord's Prayer? Are these kingdom-minded prayers that we talked about last week when we studied, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And the answer is yes, these prayers are big king and kingdom-minded prayers. These prayers show our need and desperation, and they position us in humility. This prayer shows that we cannot provide for ourselves, forgive ourselves, or deliver ourselves from evil. It shows us that we are dependent creatures upon our Heavenly Father. And the contrast with the depiction of God given earlier in the prayer is striking. He is glorious. He is hallowed. He is in heaven. He is omnipotent. We, on the other hand, are incapable of even getting basic sustenance without his help. In these words, then, Jesus teaches to exalt God while humbling ourselves. The radical God-centeredness of this prayer continues. And man has no place to be prideful before the throne of God. And listen, you may be a great success. You may be a rising management star. 
You might have a large 401k stocked up. You might have an education from the best colleges. You may be able to leap tall mountains in a single leap. But guess what? You're dependent upon God for every breath. Your greatest need, forgiveness of sin, is something that's outside of your abilities as fast as those may be. These prayers will run us face to face with our need and our desperation, and when seen correctly, they will position us in humility. So maybe this morning you just need to posture yourself before God in humility. As I mentioned earlier, maybe you need to trust Jesus' work on our behalf of forgiveness today because that's outside of the scope of your ability. So do that if that's you. Or maybe you've trusted in Jesus and this morning you just need to once again remind yourself that you are desperate, in desperate need for God. We're all needy and desperate and this prayer reminds us of that. This is kingdom-minded. This prayer also shows us God's provision and care. While we may be weak and frail and unable to provide for ourselves, God, on the other hand, is our kind, good, and generous Father. He cares for us. He, he provides for us. And our petitions about our needs move Him to act, not because we pray, but because He cares. He has rescued us from the perils of our sin and from the dangers of the evil one by sending His Son, Jesus, to be our Redeemer and Savior. Only God could save us, and only God will save us. And these prayers put us face to face with the living God who cares for us. So friend, God cares for you. You can cast your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. You can ask for forgiveness, and He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You can believe that He will not test you beyond what His grace can sustain you. He is kind. He is good. He is loving towards you. And this is why we pray. Before we respond, a couple of questions that I asked throughout the sermon, just for you to consider as we move to our response time. Are you praying for God's name to be made famous? Are you praying for God's reign in your spheres of influence? Are you praying for opportunities to make the invisible kingdom visible? Are you praying about the things that you're worried about? It's confession, a regular practice in your life. Are you holding on to some unforgiveness? When temptation comes, when it comes, what is your response? I got this, or God help me. Are you in community? God's means of grace towards us for many things. And are you trusting in God's goodness and kindness towards you? As we transition, consider these prayers, these prayers, these questions, and do some business with God if you have to. Okay? 
Let's pray. For our prayer, I want to read the Lord's Prayer to close our time in this series. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you give us today our daily bread? Forgive us our sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the power, and the kingdom, and the glory forever. We're going to transition to a time of response now, church. And again, like I said a second ago, I encourage you to, to, to consider these questions and do business with God as he leads you. We're going to do a few things in this time. We're going to sing, and there's lots to sing about. We have a great, loving caring Father who provides for our needs daily, who forgives, forgives us of our sin, and who strengthens us when we are being tested. We should worship him. We will also come to the Lord's table. Whenever you're ready, at any time, come to the front and grab the elements. The, the, the bread and the juice and the wine represent the tangible gospel. It's a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. So come, partake of the bread and the juice and the wine. And remember what Jesus has done for you on your behalf. And lastly, we can also give financially. Uh, we've got some giving boxes along the back wall. Our giving is also a part of our worship and a response to what Jesus has done for us. As he has given, we give. We give. And our finances are a small part of that. So you can do that today as well. But whatever you do, respond however, Lord is leading, however God is leading you this morning. And let's worship him. Let's stand. And let's sing. Moms, dads, you guys can now go and grab your kiddos from Top Kids. Let's respond.